You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Who, the Who sellout. In the room I have John, Yay. Ben, yes. Zach, Hi. and Grady. Hiya. The Who sellout is the third studio album by the British rock band The Who, released on the 15th of December 1967 uh, on Track Records in the UK and Decca Records in the US. The producer was Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp. The genre is rock, power pop, art pop, and psychedelic. Uh, and this is from All Music Review, uh, Richie Underberg. Peter Townshed originally planned the Who sellout as a concept of sorts that would simultaneously mock and pay tribute to pirate radio stations, complete with fake jingles and commercials linking the tracks. For reasons that remain somewhat ill-defined, the concept wasn't quite driven to completion, breaking down around the middle of side two on the original vinyl. Nonetheless, on strictly musical merits, it's terrific. It's a terrific set of songs that ultimately stands as one of the group's greatest achievements. I can see for miles it's the Who at their most thunderous tingles of psychedelic at a rush to harmonious city in the sky and relax. I Can't Reach You finds Townshed beginning to stretch himself into quasi-spiritual territory uh, and the acoustic sunrise show introspective vulnerable sides to the singer-songwriter that had previously been hidden. Rael was another mini-opera with musical motifs that reappeared in Tommy. The album is as perfect a balance between melodic and mod pop and powerful instrumentation as The Who or any group would achieve. Psychedelic pop has never been this jubilant, not to say it's funny. All right, what did we think of The Who Sell Out? I like this record. I'm sold. Love it. (laughs) I thought it was great. I'm buying. Love it. (laughs) Well, there's there's one song on it that I don't know if it was like mandatory for the era that you had to have like a fable or a fairy tale. <laughs> well, like, is that mandatory in in, in, in Britain? Yeah. In Britain yeah. at the time, you had to have one track that was like, and here's the fairy tale. <laughs> you know, whether it's the gnome on uh, Pink Floyd's Piper at the Gates of Dawn or Silas Stingy on this album, but otherwise, you know, solid album, really good. This quintessential quintessentially British thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. that, that sort of little sing-songy, bouncy... Yeah. Vaudevillian fable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think the commercials are awesome. I think that... I think that some of these ba- these actual brands that they're writing these fake radio spots for, I think that they should have went with it. I think that, I think that Heinz should have used Heinz Baked Beans. I think it would have sold tons of beans. Uh... 
I think that Odorono is a great story for why deodorant is important. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I love the concept. I think it's funny. I think that they're, they're mocking and also praising the pirate radio, you know, like those... Like the literal, well, not literal pirate, but like the offshore yeah. radio stations that would play the Who album tracks when, when you know, other radio stations like Radio London wouldn't. Uh, a lot of the Radio London bumpers are actual Radio London bumpers that they were using without permission. Well, there was a bit of legal, I like that. A legal fiasco <laughs> after this from a lot of the, the brands and even the... The company that did the jingles, like some company out of out of the states, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, they were poking fun of themselves in in part as well because they had been doing commercial spots and, and their their stuff had been used in in such capacities as as well. Um, but I, I, one thing I couldn't quite tell from what I read was they if they commissioned someone to do these jingle spots or they just they were existing jingle they, spots they that they just lifted like public domain or not public <laughs> not public domain hence the the legal trouble yeah um, yeah. yeah they're basically just, they just out there ripping the, off yep <laughs> ripping it off and and then just putting their fun funny little spin on it and yeah. saying kind of giving a middle finger to everybody and saying here's their songs and. Got hilarious jingles in it. In it. I think that uh, their whole like tongue in cheek concept may have gone over the heads of a bit of their like hipster demographic. They're uh, called mods back then. The, <laughs> the, the, the mod demographic. Yeah, the hipsters were out, like Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely wasn't over Allen Ginsberg ten. Yeah, but the mods. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, just. Uh, uh, the band like publicly saying they sold out and then like shilling baked beans on the record as, as like tongue in cheek as it was, I, I think that it mystified some of their fans. It's a very hard, hard concept. Although you would think that maybe people would sort of understand after Sergeant Pepper and that, that kind of we're playing different parts. We're like playing an act, you know, a meta. Yeah. To it, yeah. yeah. You would think that maybe people would have, caught on a little bit easier well, and yeah. if you're if you're not in on the joke yet by listening to the record just look at the album art. oh yeah yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> literally sitting in a bathtub full of beans <laughs> holding a giant can of beans <laughs> whose yeah. who's head was it going over where, where, where was the it? mods just, like, just like, like the the yeah, yeah who, some of their fans early fans yeah, yeah. Were they, 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 they were just kind of like what is this they weren't getting i mean it, weren't digging it. i could imagine going to a record store and looking at it and Thinking like, like, what is going it's some on sort of with a joke this? Or, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, well, and this is also, you know, they're they're departing from the the mod sound here. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a, you've got it's a little lighter. You got some of the some of the songs sound kind of like their earlier stuff, but then they they've also changed their sound. There are a lot of different sounding songs on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that probably was part of it too. So I, I'm not the, as familiar with the their alienation. earlier <laughs> discography. So, w- which songs like sort of stick out on this one as departures? Armenia, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure okay. Completely different from anything they've yeah. done before. In, in, um, in what way? I mean, uh, I mean they've they never were... had a horn on a record before. Okay, I don't sure. think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, just the in the <laughs> instrumentation here. Like, I I remember reading something a long time ago about how they got in the studio for this and the producer was suggesting like oh we can have a trumpet and they're just like 
What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they just got to play around in the studio a little more. They used it to great effect. Um, so, unlike, you know, like we had, we just talked about Pink Floyd, where they were kind of like, oh, we want to use every single thing in the studio and like every effect that you have. And here, you know, the Who is, is coming into the studio and being offered these things. They're like, oh, we, we have the ability to do this thing. Like the engineer's like, I could put this effect on there. Like oh that oh okay yeah so it's very it's subtle but mm-hmm. it it makes it stand out from their previous is yeah it's definitely album, a, a sure. departure from their their maximum R and B image yeah they had just like stripped down my generation my generation yeah mm-hmm. sure yeah, yeah, the kids right. are all right yeah yeah it's power that like power power pop yeah, yeah. like yeah. like like throwing amps over and busting yeah. guitars and it's a yeah. it's a logical conceptual stepping stone towards like Tommy. Yeah. Where is a quick Absolutely. one in the chronology? It's actually a right. quick one's right before this. Right yeah. before this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is I their third album, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was kind of like that's when they couldn't get a cello and now they could get a cello. <laughs> right. Two cellos. They made it. <laughs> when you get two cellos. When you get two cellos. That's what you do. resounding agreement at the just awesomeness of this album um i'll i'll just point to one aspect that particularly drew me in is the i mean the the melodic the harmonies but the vocal harmonies in particular just the chords that they are singing often relying on like a underlying or over floating pedal point um i got an i i can see for miles and then the um uh, what was it? I can't reach you. Um, just, just these crystalline voices, and, and uh, just I, I, I know there are a lot of good harmonies that come out of the '60s, but these always the the specific chords they chose and how they they sort of the the, the instrumentation there um, was always really compelling for. Yeah, for me. sure. I mean, the one we're listening to right now, "Our Love Was," is. I mean, I I hear the Beach Boys kind of like there are a couple the, the, the last track on this album too. Real, there's a lot of Beach Boys. Yeah, um, it, it has that. I mean, and that's the biggest compliment I think I can give is that the yeah. harmonies of of the Who is like coming up. Uh, well, even in that, that to first, rival it. That first track you hear that sort of fabled flat six chord that Beatles sort of made famous with "P.S. I Love You," and it's just not it's not just your one four five you know minor six sort of thing. They are really experimenting with the 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 theory behind uh, a, a lot of these songs and it and it and it shows it, it sets it apart from so much else i hadn't noticed uh until you read that that all music intro birch that the concept does kind of fall apart halfway through side two yeah and it 
like the concept falls apart and it kind of starts you start hearing literally you start hearing Tommy yeah, not yeah. only like Rael, definitely it, it, it's got the it's a boy riff. Uh, there's parts from the overture, but then there's a, a break in the second to last song, Sunrise, that sounds just like the pinball wizard chords. Like, it's like it seems like I, I doubt this was intentional. I'm just projecting on it. It almost sound, seems like as the as the concept of like the fake ads is like tapering off there is like fading in references of like what's to come again, I don't think it's intentional, but I, I don't know why they wouldn't commit to that uh, concept fully. Like I wonder what, what kind of happened there. Yeah. I don't know. I could definitely see it being just a, a point of saying, I mean, it, it was kind of unclear, but I could see it of being like, you know, we want to present this as like a funny gag or whatever but then ultimately we're a band we, we still have these other songs yeah, we want to throw on we, we have great songs we don't need to really keep doing the you know the, the little uh, bumpers in between yeah, maybe, yeah mm-hmm. maybe they just couldn't find like the transitions and rather than make them like inadequate or half-assed yeah. just sort of go with these final songs and i i love this whole record i i i like both sides of the two-side record but i think side one O's record from uh, Armenia City in the Sky to I Can See for Miles. I think that that is just airtight, bulletproof. Yeah. Like, that is just like 20 solid minutes of all killer, no filler. Yeah. I like side two, but I think side one is even stronger. Hmm. As, a, as a whole, I, I would certainly agree. Um, but still, <laughs> I, I can't reach his. A beast of a song. Well, I mean, for album arrangement and structure, I mean, that's kind of what you want, right? I mean, you want to come out the gate with something that's going to hook the listener. Well, you want to finish strong. You want it on both whole, sides. Right. Well, it starts side two off well, whether right. it you know, sort of wavers from the theme throughout. It's not as consistent in that regard, but the songs, I think, are still... I mean, we, we got our, our little our little schoolboy tale um, in, in the middle <laughs> yeah, you, there. Yeah, you throw that one on the B-side. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, but you don't you don't make it the first song on the B side. You make it the you know the third. But it's like this. Yeah. It's like the skit in '90s hip hop albums. Yes, like they, there was just one in every British album in the late '60s. Mandatory. Uh, I did find it interesting too. I read up on uh, you know what they played live uh, from this album because of, you know it's like what would you what would you pull out of the album to actually play live? And a few cuts uh, were in their live repertoire, including "Relax" uh, for a brief period. Uh, but only Tattoo was retained in the regular set hmm. being performed uh, until 1975. Uh, and then uh, I Can See for Miles was not regularly played until their reunion in uh, 89. Really? That's, oh, that's that was like their biggest hit. Such that's a what banger, I, yeah. That's well, what I thought. I mean, part of the problem there is the the curse of studio magic. That's true. Because like Those, that, har- those that harmonies has, are thick. That has yeah. double-track drums on it where he's just doing like Ride sure. symbol, and then in the other thing, All he's doing like the toms. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's yeah. not hard to easy live. to pull off yeah. live. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Keith Moon, especially just drunk, wasn't that good. Of a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what are you saying about Mr. Moon? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny uh, uh, talking about this before. My my initial uh, 
Who album was the uh, the kids are all right? And when I was in like great like junior high, like I would get an album by a band and I would just like wear it out, and that would be the only album that I would listen to. Is that like a compilation? For it's more more so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are few. So that was like the, all of the Who that I knew for a good chunk of my life. Like I never heard all this album uh, before uh, the other day. Um, and how many of those songs like the like the Bob O'Reilly on uh Kids Are All Right he's he's got that big like synth uh, intro and everything and then and then it sort of leads in with a, a a drum fill by Keith Moon and he must have been just out of it cuz it's the slowest most offbeat sort yeah. of <laughs> it's just it's it's awkward and, and embarrassing to kind of listen to it right now compared to the like the studio the studio version um but all, I mean a lot of those were were live tracks yeah um yeah and i think it's a is it the same version of i can see for miles or is it a different one do you remember i'm not sure um, i'm not sure I know it's a compilation, but I never owned it. Are we going to get to who's next in this book? Oh yeah, like it seems like we have to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If that's that, we'll just we'll just throw <laughs> yeah tip over this bar if, if who's next is not in here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like Keith I like Moon, all who, but who's next is is my who. Yeah. <laughs> if we can talk about drums for a minute, yeah. yeah. Keith Moon is is probably the reason that I I like the Who so much. Um, They're your favorite band, but partially. It's just because of the way that the band structured their songs. Because instead of the, the typical, you've got the drummer holding the beat and the guitarist ripping solos or whatever, um, the guitar holds the beat a lot of the time in Who songs, which frees up Keith Moon to do whatever the hell he wants. Um, and so it's, it's a rare instance, at least in this time period, where you can hear a drummer freed up to actually be expressive and just uh you know if you have an ear for that like listening to the techniques that he uses that you you don't hear other drummers do like he's just all over the cymbals without hitting the kick drum at the same time uh which is weird like not yeah. a lot of people do that but he he liked the contrast yeah you know and, and he's so he's he's doing things that are unconventional Without really knowing why he's doing it, he just, he's he all like, all over the, the beat sound. too. Like he doesn't come back through on the on the one. Oh or, yeah, he, or he plays he's through played, the the measure and like comes longer back. arcing cycles around yeah. whatever the rest of the like the four four thing that they're doing. Yeah. Is it true that he couldn't play? Is it either th in three yeah. or <laughs> yeah. is it triplets? Either, yeah, one, one yeah, it was on. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to think of the album now. Um, that sounds like a Spinal Tap reference. <laughs> <laughs> What's the album with guitar and pen on it? Is it who? Are, it's who are you? Yeah. yeah. On, on who are you? There was a song in an odd time signature, and he just couldn't play it. <laughs> Remember seeing some sort of like? <laughs> I'm sure he could play it if he just worked on it. Some but. sort of analysis. Well, I mean, at, at, that was part of it. You know, at the same time, he was pretty. He was at a pretty rough point with yeah. the alcoholism by that point, which yeah. I'm sure didn't help things at sure. all. And bummed. He was pretty bummed by then. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We had brought that up at the the previous Who album about this is now this is one of the first drummers, rock drummers, that you watch the drummer. Yeah, like mm -hmm. it's not just oh, there's a lead singer and the guitarist, and you're all focused, or, yeah. or even you know, I guess Jerry, they're, they're all equal members. All, yeah, it's, yeah, they're a very equal group, and 
you want to see the drummer. You go to, you know, the show to see the drummer. It's almost yeah. as if, ja- just, like, a jazz drummer, like Max Roach or one of those great drummers that you, he can carry the band, you know, like, the singer doesn't have to just be the biggest performer. There's also yeah. a pretty good chance that there's a bomb in the kick drum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Non-zero. Yeah. <laughs> of some of, of, of Moon's uh, drum patterns and fills and everything. And, and you could you could like sort of magnify what he was doing and within those magnifications there would be like other drum like other patterns of the drums. So there was like these multiple layers of, of, of these patterns and rhythms going on within whatever he was doing. However intentional that was or not. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I don't know if he was like Trained, schooled in this? I don't believe so. No. If you look at his form, I doubt it. Where he, um, <laughs> it's like his wrists angled downward. It's like he's stirring a pot with yeah. his drums. Like how oh, he's yeah. <laughs> and I remember always seeing like videos of them playing when I was younger, and his drums just seemed so oddly arranged, like these flat cymbals high. Well, that up was that part of. That was also like was them kind of. Because all those old shows like Shindig, sure, um, yeah. they would they, be they would be lip syncing. Well, same or, with or, the, or you know instrument syncing, and so they so were just play, they were playing it up. They, yeah, they were just screwing around. They'd like, like the, set the, the drums up weird, and he would just be all over. <laughs> you know? maybe, maybe that's what I was thinking. I just didn't yeah. realize that it was being lip synced uh, at the time. But I mean, same with the the, the 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 explosives and the kick drum. It what was that the Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was like what ten times the explosive they expected. Well, yeah. he, he kept on. There's some story I don't remember the details, but he kept on like. After being warned repeatedly not to, like, made sure that there was enough, so he like double or yeah, he bribed the, the stagehand the, the, like, the amount or something, loaded up. Um, but yeah, part of the part of the legend. Yeah, uh, you were talking about him, you know, having training or whatever. Um, part of the Keith Moon legend, he would no, notoriously like just stack his drums behind the couch in his living room, and. Pete Townsend would have to show up and be like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna record an album," and he'd it, it, have to like relearn how to play the drums. <laughs> you know, he'd just leave him there for months at a time. He didn't practice. Yeah. <laughs> it was just all coming out of him. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, bless that man. Another interesting thing, um, and I haven't. I should have listened to that other album. I didn't know you had reviewed that one already. Um, it does it a lot on Tommy, and I heard it on songs on here where Keith Moon will be going nuts, but they'll just push the drum mix way in the back. So if you're not listening for it, it's just kind of this wall of drums in yeah. the background. Yeah, they kind of do that on my generation, although they yeah. bring up a yeah. drum uh, solo in the middle of it. Yeah. 
So I think uh, if you if you get to Tommy, like one of the best songs for that, even though it's kind of a dumb song, is uh, "Christmas" on Tommy. Um, so the, the song Froggy is Fresh just cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the song is just kind of this jingly little tune, but in the background is some of the best Keith Moon drumming ever. Yeah, it's. I think that's the real power unreal. of the Who too is actually their how things are recorded and mixed because you can always hear all the everything you know the vocals the guitar the bass and drums like at this very comfortable level somehow it's always translated to me that you know they're so solid because it's yeah it's not like they could have easily you know played up the drum or the bass i mean they're all fantastic players yeah Yeah. but it's it's really uh really mixed well and Mm -hmm. to i mean to echo or reinforce what, what Zach said, I mean, this is how or why he became a drummer. I mean, pretty much same for me. I mean, listening to these in, I think it was seventh grade um, is really what I got a kid around the same time. It was it was Keith Moon and actually in Primus, Tim Alexander. Um, <laughs> but, but it was also like this and then like, I think it was hearing Tool on the radio. I, at that age, I didn't listen to the individual parts as much. You just heard the whole. And I remember really starting to pay more attention to the instrumentation and the drums in particular as a u- unique instrument in that, not just a timekeeper and, and yeah. everything. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, it inspired me to play drums too. Let's all play drums. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's all play drums. Turn the next we, we room can, over. We can join. We can join the Almond Brothers. Uh, so this album, uh, it reached number thirteen in the charts. Um, the original release was the seventeenth of November, but it pushed back due to arguments about the running order. Reached uh, forty-eight on uh, the U.S. charts. <laughs> but yeah, the concept album hampered its commercial per- uh, performance despite positive reviews, as the irony sat awkward with serious ambition of the underground music scene. And it was too specific to the mod scene's background for many young pop fans. I mean, they, they ended up doing all right, so I don't... Yeah. <laughs> the kids also ended up doing all right. <laughs> uh, love, the, love the photos, the, like, wide angle of them all looking weird and using the oversized uh, creams and deodorants. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, apparently Daltrey got pneumonia... From sitting in those beans. <laughs> he, said, he said that the beans were frozen. Yeah. Oh, They're wow. canned. Why do you need to freeze beans? Why did you beans? freeze the beans? Maybe because it was such a massive quantity. Oh, it's a huge quantity. Yeah. Yeah, maybe because it was like a shelf bas- stable. No, no. Like, you're not going to order like a thousand yeah. cans. You got to just get like a big. You just got a big frozen block straight from yeah. the, you gotta the bean factory. You got to go to the bulk <laughs> bean guy. Yeah, you yeah, get the, yeah. yeah. Well, they should have warmed up those beans. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think the Who at this point in their career could have afforded yeah. multiple warm bean You'd cans. think that Roger Daltrey would have the clout where he'd be like, oh, no, warm up them beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get in them, but warm them up. <laughs> well, I, at least they learned their lesson before they had Anne margaret roll around in beans <laughs> yeah. in Tommy the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I hope her beans were at least room temp. Yeah. Room temp beans. <laughs> yeah. Traditional British serving temperature. Lukewarm beans. <laughs> Room. So I don't think I have to ask. Everybody's on the on the positive on this one. Yeah, positive. Like okay. Okay. Yeah. That's easy. <laughs> I mean, how much mainstream sort of poking and prodding at 
the establishment, the commercialism like I don't that think the, was... I mean, I don't think a lot... The Beatles were venturing into that sure. sort of absurdist humor, as as was Frank Zappa. Yeah. And Frank Zappa actually did pretty well. Like, Mothers, that album did yeah. fairly well in, in England. They got it so over we, there. We keep coming back to those... Those two as like the yeah predecessors the for this yeah the, yeah but yeah I can't think of too many of I mean the I Kinks mean, it was, though the, the Kinks, Kinks had sure. some yeah, yeah. some interesting stuff going on at the time and obviously more like subversive counterculture stuff like we mentioned like the hipster the, the beatniks they were yeah. all very much you know, I, I find it that. interesting but, but in any sort of too that the Who they never they never thought for a second about like being like like preserving an image you know what i mean like they're really willing to just make fun of themselves mm-hmm. uh to kind of go in these like i, mean, I, I, I always feel like sure. the, i think that the rolling stones were always like we got an image and we're you sure. know like the the tough guys they were cheekier you know, and more yeah. not less of yeah. le- they're not as afraid the, to step it, out of their mm-hmm. whatever and the beatles were like we're you know we were the young hippies and now we're we're the flower child we're like the peace loving kind of thing and the who were just kind of the goofballs Mm. you know like they were just they would do whatever they felt like essentially for as much as they were like the sound of the mods yeah they didn't stick to mod culture they didn't cater to yeah Yeah. they pulled a a dylan goes electric (laughs) (laughs) judas surprise solid stingy (laughs) 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 b-side Uh, no, the, the British mods expect a vaudevillian number. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know that. I thought I didn't know that was I'm a mod. I'm just assuming that anyone <laughs> born on that foggy <laughs> island expects at least one vaudevillian number in, in any in any. I album. mean, you got your Pauls. I know that's Zach's favorite of the Beatles. <laughs> the dance hall stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any, anything else? <laughs> you guys want to save some Keith Moon stories for later? We got we got a few more to. <clears throat> they, they haven't happened yet. yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, keep it. Oh, he's, no, blowing, that, that he's blowing things. He's up. not driving okay. over things yeah. yet. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's not. He's not bummed yet. <laughs> he's not yet bummed. <laughs> he had already ruined uh, Pete Townsend's left ear. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. That was what, like sixty six. Was that yeah. also with an explosive device? The, the, that bomb. Yeah, the bomb on the Smothers Brothers, Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was I mean, permanent yeah. hearing damage to Pete Townsend. And you can hear it in that recording of my generation. Um, there are a couple of like yeah. smaller explosions, and then there's this like resounding. Have you Boom. seen Have you seen the video? Of yeah. It? yeah, yeah. Where like after it explodes, Townsend's hair is like literally sticking <laughs> well, it up. Does, doesn't it blow it up one of the like, cameras too? I mean, like it was it's yeah. pretty serious. Like the symbol yeah. shrapnel cut moon and yeah. in hindsight, putting a bomb in your drums is <laughs> not reckless. a smart move. Yeah. <laughs> you really can't predict what's going to happen. There was, no, the there was no way of knowing back then. Though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next time we'll be talking about the Velvet Undergrounds, the Velvet Underground, and Nico. All right, thanks, y'all. Suddenly, our love was